Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. What happened? Man, you know, when you ask me that question, there's so many different experiences in the past 30 years. But probably the worst experience I ever had is I was bonding and rapporting with a customer and uh, set the job up, told her I'm going on my anniversary, told her where I was going on my anniversary. And she's like, oh, I've been there. And uh, so we lived in Reno at the time and we were going to Northern California to a place called the Benbow Inn. Left the job set up. It was like a Thursday or Friday. Guys tell me it snowed. I'm like, well, I guess we're on the job. Next thing you know, that night, I'm getting phone calls or some crazy lady. And so it turns out she's calling the Benbow Inn, freaking out why we weren't on her job site. Because, quote, the snow melted after lunch. Why aren't you back on my site? <clears throat> I had to finally, this is before, you know, texting and all (laughs) it's been a minute but man she i had to tell the i had to tell the front desk stop letting this person through she was screaming it was it was horrible i have never had an experience like that since oh man man. so never ever tell uh the customer where exactly you're going just in case they turn out to be uh, let's say unreasonable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's a euphemism, man. Don't definitely um, you don't know how people are until you really know how they are. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, <laughs> talk about uh, ruining a week weekend trip away. My well, <laughs> uh, hello and welcome to the DYB podcast. Today's guest is from Austin, Texas, president and founder of One Point, PJ Guariano. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, Steve. I'm glad to be here. My pleasure. Take us back to the beginning. How did you get started? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Like John Ray, I got my start in college. And so it was after my freshman year of college at uh, the University of California, Davis. um, I, too, saw the little uh, flyer on the bulletin board at the student union. Excuse me. Uh, And it just, you know, mentioned, hey, paint. You can earn a living, blah, 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 all this stuff. So me and my roommates, there was three of us, signed up, went to the uh, introductory meeting. And apparently I was the most responsible of the three of us. And so they made me the crew leader, even though not any of us had any experience painting. And that's how I got going uh, in the summer of 91. Summer of 91. In Sacramento. Yeah. Okay. So you're in college, what, freshman? It was right. It was before my sophomore year. So that first okay. summer, I decided oh, right. to stay in town. And yeah. uh, man, I didn't know a cocking gun from a spackle knife to and <laughs> our first there? houses. Were, yeah, man. We, our first houses were Victorians in downtown Sacramento. And uh, oh, 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 here's the crazy in the part. Fire. Yeah, man. Well, here's the crazy part about that model. Their their way of thinking was the upperclassmen, so junior and seniors, they're the managers. The lower classmen, the freshmen, sophomores, were the workers. So you had um, no experience leading, no experience. And I'll give you a perfect example. So we're doing a Victorian home. 
You're supposed to glaze those windows. This guy had us trying to cock them. <laughs> didn't even show us how to cock. We had cock all over ourselves. We didn't even know how to turn off. This is before they had the, uh, you know, the, the dripless. Yeah. Man, I had cock all over me, everywhere, the windows. It was, yeah, it was insane. Oh, back then, was was it oil-based cock or had it been latex yet? Uh, good Remember question. Remember we used oil-based back latex. then? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it, it was probably latex back then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that old, Steve. <laughs> well, I was, I, I was, I was out there then. I remember. Um, so the, uh, so, so you're out there for this summer and this wild experience within, you know, then what? So it's just one summer, you go back to school, sophomore, then, you know, what's, what's the next season look like for you or the next step? Well, I think like all of us, uh, the reason we're even talking today is we all are entrepreneurs and I remember calling my dad on the phone and it turned out, I didn't really know it because my grandfather had died, but it turned out my grandfather, my dad's father was a painter in Chicago. He died when my dad was 14. So I didn't know the story. So when I called my dad, I'm like, dad, I like this way too much. I mean, we're in and out three days. House looks like garbage. Now it looks beautiful. I'm like, I'm loving. He's like, just stay in school. You're supposed to be a lawyer. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll do that. And I just kept painting through the summers and then I left student painters because, you know, $8 an hour, even back then was slave wages. So I just started finding my own jobs and I was the little Mary crew leader of my, uh, my roommates. And then that's, that's how I worked my way through college and get getting ready to go to law school. $8 an hour. Uh, I was only getting four fifty. Uh, I lived in California, man. There's there's a premium okay, to live okay. in California. All right, this is back up Michigan, so I get okay, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, so you catch the bug, then what? Well, you know, um, I'm I finish up college early, about three three years. I, I finished up a little bit early, and I was getting ready to go to law school, and I started dating my wife, now my wife, and um, she was studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, and so I started to study. And um, make a, a kind of a long story short, I decided to become one of Jehovah's Witnesses and I decided not to go to law school. Her brother was a painter in Reno. That's where my father lived and I went to high school. So me and him started our first company together in 1995 and we called it High Sierra Painting and Decorating Incorporated. And uh, that was my first company that I started officially. It was an LLC. And uh, we were licensed and all the fancy things that one starts with the business. Right on. How did you guys uh, get going? How did you generate leads? What uh, in what uh, area did you get into? You know, was it new construction? You know, how did you how did you get started? And how did you generate your first leads? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Uh, well, Bill already had his own business for about five years at that point. He had started off sometime after high school working for a very large commercial uh, painting contractor in Reno uh, who's still there. Uh, then he went on his own. And so when we joined forces, my only experience was really in um, residential repaints. He could do pretty much anything. He had painted high rises and he had done other things, but he was focused for the most part on res residential repaints. So that's where we started. It was me and him. And we eventually got two helpers. And for the first year or two, that's all we did. And then uh, Reno is like other places. It's close to California, but doesn't have the California weather. And so we started looking for ways to stabilize the ups and downs uh, of the flow of jobs. So um, being a new business, I started writing letters. I wrote letters to every single subdivision in Reno. And uh, Reno is a 
retirement community for Northern California. So there was many subdivisions back then and to, and today that were being built. So I started writing letters and uh, well, we got our first couple of responses. So letters of introduction, offers, presentations. Yeah, no, not that sophisticated. Just basically, um, you know, I, I was a grad college graduate, so I thought it was smart, but definitely didn't know nothing about nothing. So all I just wrote is a letter about who we are and I would like an opportunity to bid your project. Um, and I had my first taker and uh, they almost put us out the first the first two years we're in business. Clearly, Richwood Homes, clearly they could see the inexperience behind the letter. And they were, turns out, after we did about four months work, they had been filing bankruptcy the whole time. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I sold my first house and I had to lend like $50,000 to my business in order because they, they went bankrupt with all that money. Oh. So I learned a very valuable lesson uh, right right in the first couple of years of business. But that was our introduction to new construction. That's where we started growing was in subdivisions mm -hmm. back about 1997. Oh, man. Okay. Well, obviously, you survived that. You continued mm -hmm. forward. What did you continue in new construction? What did it look like moving yeah. forward from there? Yeah, so we started to grow. <clears throat> so for, for the end of the 1990s, you know, we had by 35, 40 guys. Um, we, we thought we were being simple and smart. Um, <laughs> and we weren't. So we were still running our own. We were, Bill and I were still doing our own individual repaint jobs. And we had 35 guys doing subdivisions. And, uh, you know, we thought we were grooving. We were generating, you know, we were probably doing about a million and a half already at that point after about three, four years. Not hard to do with new construction, especially in a booming economy like it was then. And um, we started dabbling into custom homes. It was just a higher end uh, endeavor. And I absorbed uh, a gentleman who had a custom home company and a custom home painting business that was a friend of my father's because my dad was in construction in Reno. And so we absorbed his company and we officially opened a custom home division. So at that point, we started evolving towards custom homes. We were doing subdivisions. We were up to like 50 guys. And then right about the... 2000 right in there we um, experienced a, a pretty traumatic shock to our system uh, i think we did uh, in the month of may of that year which is usually when you know you're going to hit you know twenty thirty thousand dollars in net profit not gross but net we flatlined i think we did about one hundred ninety five thousand that month in revenue and we made like negative five dollars and that was my first experience uh in my you know mid I was about 27 years old. That was my first experience with uh, what's the difference between anxiety and a heart attack. And I didn't know until I went to go see the doctor because I thought I was having a heart attack. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've all been there or close to there or have an idea what that feels like. It's part of the entrepreneurial journey, unfortunately. For sure. What uh, what, what was going on um, that that caused that? Yeah. Well, at that point, we had a, a part-time bookkeeper and that's it. No business experience other than the fact, again, I went to school, but they don't teach you business in school. And I didn't go to school for business. Um, I went to school to be a lawyer. So I had no business experience. I had a business acumen, a business mind, but zero education business-wise. And so we were living out of QuickBooks. Back then it was the, uh, the, the floppy disk, you know, before they even had the hard disk, with then, then the CD and then the DVD. But uh, the point was we were we were adept at using QuickBooks and I had this this gal doing our books. And I remember this was a profound moment. 
uh, in our career. So we flatlined. And she said to us, you know, I saw that coming. I just didn't want to say anything. Amen. She was fired in my head like right then. And Bill Bill and I are very different. We're very um, complementary to each other. I'm a bit of a, you know, being Latin, I'm very uh, colorful and, and excitable. And as one profiler once said years later, Bill was my Ritalin because he's very calm. But he wanted to fire her right then because he's like, man, she knew this was coming. She didn't say a word. So, you know, being a little bit business savvy, I'm like, well, we can't just completely fall apart. So we just really had a a moment of introspection. I think I even explored maybe becoming a a fireman. Uh, At that point, I had four children under five. Bill had three um, children. Life was a little serious. We're building our homes next to each other. And so we just started to think, you know, that we're not doing this right. We, we probably shouldn't be painting. We should probably be treating this as a business. And so we started searching for education. I stumbled on the PDCA and uh, we went to Vegas and uh, we heard Michael Gerber speak at the yeah. keynote in Vegas, um, right there at the beginning of the 2000. It was about 04, right? 2000. Yeah. What was that? Oh, four, wasn't it? Well, the, I, I could, my man, I'm bad with dates. That's okay. Whatever it was, it was right about then where we had this epiphany. We had already started talking about, you know, we had kind of had the come to moment between the two of us. And we're like, you know, are we going to focus and do this or not? And so we already started talking about systems and processes and we started having all these thoughts. And then we heard Gerber and I read his book. In fact, I just pulled the same book out. I have the same copy I've read about 15 times. I'm giving it to a, a contractor friend of mine later today. But when we heard Gerber, it was like the proverbial light bulb, but it was more like stadium lights. It was just like... And so we just, we bought out of the contracts and subdivisions cost me $40,000 to get out of my contracts. Uh, they, they certainly wanted to help us with that. So they gladly took our money and, uh, we, we doubled down on custom homes. We were evolving into new construction and commercial. And, uh, I hired a young friend of mine away from another contractor and, uh, we started building our first estimating program, him and I production rates. We started, we, uh, I don't know if you know, Herb Chasen back in the day, he was, a uh, in PDCAA and, uh, or excuse me, PDCA and Irv had theories in his premise in his book was how to recoup overhead and labor as a, or excuse me, overhead and profit as a multiplier of labor. So we built an entire Excel spreadsheet based on that. And so we got rid of the track work, kept the repaint, kept the custom home. We're, we're growing into to new construction and commercial. And we raised our prices because now we knew our numbers. Prior to that, it was all square footage. It was like, ooh, custom home, you know, $5 a square foot, add some wood windows. Okay, add a $2,000. And it was, I mean, dude, no wonder we surprised me about our business. But we raised our prices and starting in about 2001, I mean, our revenue, it was, a, I don't know, it wasn't a miracle. I didn't think it was a miracle, but man, it sure seems like in retrospect, all of a sudden our revenue went up, our net profit went through the roof. And that was the beginning of systemizing the business. And we really focused the next couple of years on that. And that we really took off in uh, residential repaint stays stable, but new construction, custom and commercial, and then commercial repaint became huge um, revenue streams for us. And we kept these silos and trained our team, our, our, our uh, staff to be adept. And we had different crews to do different types of painting. So we didn't niche ourselves. We just try to be profitable in each 
each revenue stream. And uh, we started painting the Skyline Arena with high-rises because that was Bill's forte. And um, we just started, it just started taking off from there. I think by 2003, we're at about 3 million. 3 million, 2003. Yeah, by four or five, we're about 5 million. And uh, hired a general manager. Um, and we just kept growing from there. Okay. Uh, 5 million and uh, things are moving right along. Systems in place. You guys got out of the field. That was key, right? And stayed out of the field so yeah. that you could by work. 2000. Yeah. On the business to quote Gerber. For sure. So by 2005, I phased Bill out of the business. Um, I took over completely to see a CEO and we started a, um, a business overseas and we started a second business doing investments. So we were buying and flipping and improving properties. That was kind of our long game. So Bill handled those two businesses. I was CEO of the painting. We brought in a general manager. And at that point, we, we rebranded in the early 2000s to HSP Painting because we started expanding into California, uh, Idaho. We had an office in Idaho. We did projects in Denver, Southern California. And that, by that point, by 2004, about 100 employees, um, W-2, and doing over $5 million. And uh, I was working two and a half, three days a week because we had everything really systemized. And it was, uh, it was great. That's awesome. So just crushing it and on a rocket, you know, to this next level. And then what? Well, I think most of us remember um, a, a time called the Great Recession. Uh, here in Texas, they refused to acknowledge it because it didn't really affect them, which is why I ended up here. But the reality is um, in some parts of the country, I know you and I have talked about this, it was pretty severe. And Reno being a smaller community that is real dependent upon California for tourism, for real estate, people downsizing, you know, the smaller the community, the more isolated it is, um, the more insulated it is, the higher the highs, the lower the lows. So in 2008, things started, of course, getting crazy uh, in the economy. We had probably about eight contracts that were worth millions of dollars. So, for example... We were working up in Truckee and Lake Tahoe. We would truck, we would literally van up about 15 employees a day up there. Um, we had contracts with a company called East West that was building retirement or, or vacation condos for wealthy people. And that contract carried us through to 2010. That was probably a $2 million contract. We were doing a high rise in uh, downtown Reno where they stripped down the Reno Hilton and was rebuilding it as a luxury condos right in downtown. And that was about, a, that was the biggest contract, individual contract we had ever signed at that point, about 1.8 million just for the painting. And so we rode those contracts, 2008, 2009, we're still profitable. 2010, we're winding up the contracts and starting at the beginning of 10 to the middle of 10, we went from over 5 million revenue, we were just hemorrhaging and the revenue dropped to like a million. And when you have uh, $50,000 a week in payroll and 14 people in management, it was, um, it's really easy to build. It's really difficult to disassemble your company. Mm -hmm. So that's where we were at the uh, middle of 2010. I realized I got to do something. This is, uh, it's not going to work. Oh yeah. What did you do? Well, my, uh, my, uh, bookkeeping service, a gal that's to this day works with me and she's my accountant now. Mm -hmm. uh, we started exploring different parts of the country. So we, we built a spreadsheet, built criteria, was looking at California, Southern California because it's close. I was licensed in both states. Um, it would be a easier move with our family being in California and Nevada. But 
still ridiculously expensive and the economy was bad. We looked at Phoenix. Uh, it was affected really bad in the economy as well. Um, I was concerned with the extreme weather. And then we just landed on Texas. A friend said, you should check out uh, Fort Worth, and uh, which is by Dallas, part of the DFW Metro. Uh, it's too cold there for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so we landed on Austin in 2010. I came and visited San Antonio and Austin. My wife cried when she saw San Antonio. Um, she just mm-hmm. didn't like it. We drove into Austin the next day, went to the west side and uh, the beginning of the hill country, which looks like California with oak trees and large houses. And my wife's like, I'm good. And so in 20, t- November of 2010, we drove a borrowed vehicle because we lost everything. Filing bankruptcy, we lost every vehicle. Uh, funny story. Uh, I was awarded one of my work trucks. We had like 15 trucks and we kept selling them. And then the bankruptcy, they took them. They let me have one truck. I'm like, sweet pickup truck. I can start painting again. And the last week before we left Reno, the uh, my insurance company who had my bond, they took that truck. It was like sold out. They just it was out of spite. Oh. So I had a I had a vehicle a relative gave us, and we drove this true story. We drove four kids, two dogs, four puppies, four pink suitcases to the top of the the Navigator. And we drove to Texas and uh, after Thanksgiving day, uh, that weekend, we drove to Texas and came to mm. Austin. Wow. And the movie <laughs> truck came after that. So, oh, yeah, buddy. Whew. Uh, you know, you know my story. I, I can, I, I can relate. Uh, and it's huge. It's big. But I have a feeling, as it did for me, did for you too, it just took that desire that we have to succeed and just flamed it even more, right? Yeah. You're like, I've got to figure this. I definitely felt a sense of urgency and responsibility. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, for me, it was um, it was very difficult to restart HSB painting here. Um, after having a business where you worked two and a half days a week, um, was working completely on the business, which is when you're an entrepreneur is the ultimate. Mm-hmm. Um, not even having to do, I didn't even sign paychecks. <laughs> so... To now be a, a company of one, I just started doing what I did the first time. You know, I started um, knocking on doors and doing flyers and, you know, just started. And, and the thrill wasn't nearly as thrilling as it had been 18 years prior to that. Uh, and the pressure was really severe because I had four kids, you know, uh, when, when the kids were 15, 14 and two 10 year old twins. And my wife had never worked. So now I got all these kids looking at me. And my wife, they're like, okay, so what's the plan? I'm like, yeah. I'm going to try to paint some houses, I guess. So <laughs> that was a little, it was a little stressful, but uh, yeah. it, it so did building. Did you get out there yourself? I did. Like after I went bankrupt and lost everything after the Great Recession and went down to Florida, I had to get back in the trenches and I was literally pressure washing homes myself, dirt all over thinking, my goodness, a few years ago, this was not the case, you know? Yeah. And just like what a humbling, <laughs> humbling experience it was. What was uh, what did you do to get started again? Well, you know, that's, that's, it was similar to that. So first of all, we came to Texas because of the weather and and the milder winters, no taxes. Um, and so we were thrilled, you know, it's, we, we, we arrived here at the beginning of December, it was 80 degrees. And then, you know, we, we get some weird weather in the winter, but it's still 70, you're still painting. And, um, you know, I tried it a little different. I had borrowed, I was able to borrow some money from my, some of my family members. They, they were a little bit 
less affected by the economy just being further along in life. So I tried to build the business by partnering with a friend of mine that I had met here um, and letting him be the labor component and me just focus on the top half of the business. And it was a good, good working relationship because he had himself and he was building the crew and I was helping him do that. I was focusing with, I was working with David Chisholm. So there's, there's the connectivity to you. He eventually introduced me to you. Um, and I just started marketing and, and just trying to get out there and do sales and, and get the work and teach my friend how to run his crew so that, you know, even though it's a subcontractor relationship, it was symbiotic where I'd get the work, he'd get the work. And that's how we started. And then, and it, you know, it started moving along. Okay. So uh, what year is this? That was the beginning of 2011. We had got to mm-hmm. Texas, uh, you know, beginning of December of 10. This was mm-hmm. now, you know, February kind of starting to get going. Okay. Not so 11, happen. yeah. What, is, uh, what does it look like, tw- you know, 2012, 13, 14? Yeah, great question. Um, I had a situation with my son and um, I, I ended up shutting down HSB painting. I mothballed it. Didn't didn't close the LLC. I just made it dormant. I went to go work for a friend who had a locksmith company, of all things. Um, and he, you know, he was a personal friend, and he had grown that locksmith company to about two million dollars in about six cities. And um, I was under so much stress now that my oldest was having issues and, and causing stress in the family. Uh, he's like, look, what do you, what do you want to leave your own company? What do you want? And I, I laid it out ownership, flexible schedule, you know, work from home part of the time, which of course, back in 2012, that was not really a common thing. And, uh, he agreed to all that. So I went to go work for Mr. Ricky locksmith. Um, and that was 2012 and uh, it was nothing that he said it was going to be, but how do you mean? Well, I had to work in an office. Oh, oh. I'm punching a clock. I've never punched a clock my entire life. And mm-hmm. uh, recently we did another behavior. We did another profile similar to this. We did one called Wealth Dynamics. And when you read the my profile, which is probably similar to many entrepreneurs, one of the don'ts it says is don't put them in an office. Don't make them, you know, that's like which exactly what it was, man. It was like, yeah, am I in prison? I mean, every morning I was like just depressed. It was horrible. And, um, he didn't give me ownership. I did have my Fridays off so I could continue in my personal endeavors in my ministry, but it was very stressful for about mm. a year and a half for sure. Okay. So a year and a half and then what? Well, then, then, uh, <clears throat> he hired another gentleman from uh, corporate America. He had some wisdom there and, and so I started connecting with him. We started really expanding the business nationwide and I built, so I decided, well, he's not going to give me ownership. I'm like, well, I'll just start another company and run a parallel. So I started a cleaning business and, uh, was, that was the beginning of my co-marketing multiple companies. And so with the locksmith business, we expanded it to, at that point, we're about 8 million. And, uh, so I had taken us to uh, Florida, about three cities in Florida, Atlanta, the Carolinas. And so what I did is I started building cleaning crews and I worked as I was negotiating the, the locksmithing contracts, I'd say, well, how about cleaning? And we were working with all the big SFRs like Invitation Homes, Progress, American Homes Friend. These guys have to this day, 500,000 homes easily uh, in their portfolio. They bought it out of the recession. So I started building cleaning crews in Las Vegas, in Reno, 
uh, all over Texas <clears throat> and in Florida. So I was building my cleaning business, HSP Cleaning, at the same time as running Mr. Riki. So by then I was the COO of the company. And so I'm running a two and finally I'm just like, hey, uh, Ken, you want a part of this? Do you want to make this a formal arrangement? I have a whole plan on how to do this. And so he bought into the clean business. We rebranded it Mr. Ready Clean to tie the Mr. name together, which I absolutely abhorred. But I'd rather win than, than have a name. Yeah. And uh, then we started building two other franchise modeled national businesses, a pest control company, a garage door business, and uh, another painting business, which I brought Bill into the picture. So I was building all these entities and running off of our platform on a national basis. And I did about for eight or nine years. Wow. Okay. Um, then what? Well, my friend <laughs> borrowed like $2 million <laughs> unbeknownst to me uh, mm. from low, uh, what, how would I say that? High interest, short return. So he borrowed against the receivables of locksmithing company doing $10 million a year you could factor your receivables. And so he was getting these high interest, short-term loans and it just started suffocating the business. And so Hard money. I, yeah, man. And, and instead of focusing on growing these ancillary companies that I was ownership in, I'm trying to save the core company. And once the, the, um, the lenders started filing UCC liens against the loans, all the national companies, the home warranty companies, the, the SFRs, they just, their lawyers are like, you're done. And so our revenue started, we just started tanking. And that was 2018 into 2019. So the end of 2019, so November, 2019, it was just flatline. And, um, him and I sat down one day and he's like, there's nothing left to pay anybody. You're the highest salary. Um, we co-own all these other businesses, but I can't pay you through Mr. Riki anymore, which was my primary salary. And I'm like, I had already known it was coming. I had felt metaphorically, I had th thought to myself, I felt like I was on the Titanic. I had seen the movie and I felt like I was chained to the, to the deck of the Titanic, knowing exactly what was going to happen. So I just waited for that moment. And he's, he's like, I just stood up, shook his hand. He's like, you're not mad. And I'm like, no, can I do, I'm just going to keep my computer and some other technology and uh, I'll keep ownership in those companies and I'll see you later. And I walked out and went home and told my wife, let's sell the house. Um, I'm, I'm starting over again. Here's number two, you know, here we go. And, uh, that was the end of 2018, 2018. So when you told Pessy, your wife, what was her response? She knew that the, what was going on ancillary. I don't include my wife in my business too much just because she has her hands full with the kids. But at that point, the two older kids were out of the house. The twins had just gone. They had turned 18. They had just gone on a trip to Thailand for a month by themselves with a friend. That was a big thing. We didn't want to tell them. It was November. And um, I just told my wife, look, it is what it is. So we're going to sell our house. We have equity in it. And uh, we're going to downsize. And I'll figure out what to do next. And uh, obviously being, you know, the beginning to middle of November, you're not going to find a job before the first of the year. No one's hiring mm -hmm. And so yeah. we just started preparing the house to sell and um, just kind of wrote it out, filed unemployment. So fortunately, I had some W-2 income so I could actually have an unemployment check and, oh, and just right. stuck it out. So, But you had her support. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. she trusted yeah. me that I worked us through. the. You know, I'd always handled stuff. Um, I had a plan. I didn't know what it was going to be. And, and I, my faith in... in Jehovah, I knew that he'd help me provide for my family. 
um, I didn't have a lot of needs. We weren't, we've never had a lot materially. We kept it simple. Once we lost everything in Reno, you keep your life simple knowing that it could happen again. And it did. And so in February of 19, yeah, so that was the end of 18, February of 19, I was, I mean, dude, when you, I didn't want to apply for jobs in the, um, C-suite, they say, you know, CEO, COO, CFO. That's my experience owning my own businesses and then with Mr. Riki. But if I applied for those type of jobs, I'd be working 70, 80 hours a week. And I didn't want that because of my family, what's important to me, my faith. And um, so somebody was advertising, looking for someone to run their painting franchise. And so in February uh, of 2019, I started managing. I interviewed a, a gentleman who was in tech. He had been sold a lie. The lie was you can buy a franchise and just turn the key and outspits money like an ATM. Well, he had a, a, a manager and an office manager, field manager, office manager, general manager, I guess he called them, paying about $100,000 in uh, salaries. And they were doing like $15,000 a month in revenue. So he interviews me. He sees my experience. Of course, he wants to know why the heck at 30, well, at that point I was, what, 40-something, why why are you in your situation? And then I wanted to hear him why he's, and so we talked and I'm basically like, look, this is not math. This is not rocket science. It's just math. Fire the two of them, hire me, give me 75% of their salary and you and I can work on a, a commission model. And so I took over the business in February and by the summer I had it up to 60, $70,000 a month in revenue. And we started negotiating ownership at that point because he said, you know, he comes from tech. He was an employee. So he thought he thought in terms of sales, bonuses and commissions and he would give me bonuses. And I would be like, man, that's nice. And he's like, you don't seem excited. I'm like, I don't need dollar signs, man. I need percentages. He's like, what's percentages? I said, man, I've never worked for anybody in my life. I, I am an I need ownership. If you want me to fully invest myself and my efforts I need to be an owner because if not, I'm eventually going to go start my own thing again. It's just biding my time. So we started negotiating um, through the summer um, into September of 19. And he was going to give me 50% ownership in his franchise. I was going to take some equity from the sale of the house I sold. And we were going to go buy out the Austin uh, franchise because he too was in tech and he too was floundering because you can't run a company, even if it's a franchise from five to nine o'clock at night. It's just, you're beholden to the person you have. And he too is just not doing well. And that's, that was the 360 painting model. They went after people in their forties and approached them with this opportunity. And I know you're familiar with some of these things, just approaching you with the DYB system. So these guys were all floundering. And so we were going to buy them out. And uh, that was uh, September of 2019 when we were supposed to have our meeting on a Friday and talk about ownership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To your point, uh, they, many of them came to us for help and guidance and even, uh, even legal help to get out of uh, what they're in without going into uh, details. But yeah, it was a bad uh, situation. It is. is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, they sell them a bit of good bill of goods for sure. Yeah. It's unfortunate. So so I had gone to visit my brother and sister-in-law in San Francisco, or excuse me, in New York. And that was, um, the end of September. Yeah. About middle of September of uh, 2019. And, uh, I did what I do as an owner, right? I mean, I wasn't an owner yet, but I still work like one. And I was working over the four day weekend, closing jobs, setting things up. 
come back, you know, midnight on Monday, I'm out in the field, get up, I'm out getting ready to start some jobs at 5 a.m. in the morning the next day. And he calls me up and he's mad. And I'm thinking, I'm on fire. I'm excited. Right? I'm, I'm closing this month out of September, ram, ramming some jobs in. And he's ticked that I didn't update some spreadsheet that the franchise told him he needed to have. Mm. I'm like, well, I agree with you. But would you rather me get these jobs done and then fill out the spreadsheet later? Or do you want me to not do the jobs and put numbers into your spreadsheet? I'm like, if you're a business person, I kind of would rather have money in hand than a number on a page. And he just went off on me. I mean, just literally. And in and, and all the years Bill and I were in business together, 18 years, even in the situation with Ken, with the Mr. Reiki thing, there was never a time I had ever myself raised my voice or they raised their voice. And I literally, so that was Tuesday. Wednesday, that day, Tuesday, I literally pulled over after he yelled at me. I made two phone calls. Well, at first I prayed, then I called my wife, then I called my, my now accountant, who was my old bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. And I had HSP open again that day. Mm-hmm. I felt bad. I was going to wait to the Friday when we were going to consummate this new ownership. I felt bad. Uh, so that Wednesday, I said, hey, come meet me at Starbucks. And I told him, I'm done. And he was floored. And I'm like... I'm like, man, I was a much different person before I became one of Jehovah's Witnesses. So this is the easier way for you and me to not have a bigger problem with your temper. And I'm like, I can't do this. And um, and I, I even said to him, you know, your marriage is falling apart because it was. He had a blended family, second marriage. Uh, ironically, they had also bought a cleaning franchise. And I was like, his and hers. So instead of matching cars, she got a cleaning franchise. He got a painting franchise. And their marriage, you could just see it. It was all falling apart. And I'm like, bro. I'd, I'd shut it down, do what you got to do, save your marriage. And he just, he, it was just the kind of guy he was. He was very ambitious. And he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, well, you're, whether I do or I don't, I'm not going to be a part of this. And so that was uh, October of 2019, HSP 3.0 got yeah. going. And uh, we started growing, you know, it started out the gate good. And uh, in, in that fall, or excuse me, in January of 2020, I opened up my second business, um, One Point Contractors Group, to build a vendor group, like a, a referral alliance, so I could generate work for painting. And then the pandemic started. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. by then my daughter was working for me part time as doing marketing. David Chisholm was training her. Uh, she had worked for me in uh, the other endeavors, doing learning social media marketing and stuff, but very limited at the time. And my son-in-law, her, she was uh, engaged to this young man. He uh, just had that point, had started just driving along with me, seeing how could I fit him into my organization somehow. And uh, we were in Mexico for a couple weeks in January, and he handled some of the estimates while I was gone. And uh, at that time, I was, so this is the beginning of of HSP 3.0. So I was heavy into custom homes because I had just negotiated with a couple builders do custom homes. And so he handled the repaints, I was handling custom homes, and then the pandemic hit. And... um, as I'm sure it was for everyone that's perhaps listening, that that is universal. That was a universal experience. So second major traumatic financial event, of course, in my life uh, after the Great Recession, probably for everyone else our age. Mm-hmm. And um, we just wrote it out with that new construction because fortunately, even though Austin is very liberal and they were trying to shut everything down, there was a battle between the judges in the city and the judges in the counties, which seemed to control this. And I, I'm not into politics. I don't quite understand it. 
but where I was doing my work was around the lake and that was technically outside of the, the county of Austin. So they kept it going and that kept my money moving mm. and um, we just had to ride it out, man. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, you're, 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 we were doing $60,000, $70,000 a month in revenue and all of a sudden, you know, it's in half. And because I use subcontract labor, I wasn't eligible for, I had friends getting $300,000, you know, in idle loans and PPP loans. And I was only mm -hmm. getting 15 or 20 and I'm like, holy cow, here we go again. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's how I came to you. Right. That was April of whatever year that was. Uh, David Chisholm recommended you and I interviewed you. It was towards the past the middle of the pandemic. I had gone down to the coast just to get away. My stepfather was dying and uh, I interviewed you and I'm like, I told my wife, I'm going to find the money. I'm like, he has a system. And it's interesting, see, with all this experience that I've been droning on about, I was still very inexperienced when it comes to residential repaints because even at the peak in Reno, we never were beyond two crews. We never spent a lot of money. We were we were a construction and a business-to-business, relationship-based business, which is really my strength as an owner. And what I had parlayed in the time I wasn't doing painting was was B2B and and you know high-level negotiations and as owners, none of that translates into getting in front of a homeowner. So of course. I'm throwing money at the the residential stuff as they we're coming out of the, the pandemic, trying to get work because that was Mike's focus point. And I'm doing home advisor and I'm doing pay-per-click and, and that's how we got to DYB. Mm. Um, well, very glad uh, you did. And I'm grateful for David for referring you. So you joined DYB and, and then what? Well, it was really my twist. Um, you were very kind to put me in the mastermind group with people um, that on paper were far ahead of me. But I think you and I had talked and you realized I could contribute as a business owner, um, even though my revenue wasn't at the level of some of the people in the group. Um, you know, uh, John Peake was in the group. He and I had been in on target and uh, summit, you know, 20 years before. So I had a relationship with him. His nephew was in the group, Seth, of course, who to this day is is uh, just blowing it up and DYB, you know, got him on his path. But I could contribute. But of course, I was much further behind in the implementation of the DYB system. And so like I do with everything, I just if I'm going to do something, do 110. So I watched every single module and took notes on every single module in your DYB cafe. And then I had, I told my daughter, my son-in-law, which ones they needed to watch. And we started building your system into, you had recommended Monday. So we started building the DYB system into Monday. So I could teach these young people how to implement what, what your system was. Mm. Indeed. And I remember too, uh, build that all out. And I thought, my goodness, it's incredible, you know, uh, to see somebody actually go through each one and just, take action, take notes, take actions and delegate and teach it to the others. I, I was blown away watching you go through that process because in the back end, we can see who's, you know, went through what module and who's completed what. And, and it's very uh, rare. In fact, it's rare that that most, you know, like 80 percent don't go through any of them. You know, yeah. the Pareto principle kicks in. And so you're at the top of that Pareto principle. And we were really impressed. So you you're rolling it out. You're in mastermind and uh, we're getting rolling and uh, you're, you're, you're teaching the team, you're building a team, you're building out your tech stack and you're getting things going as you're implementing the system. Then what? 
Well, you know, when I had joined DYB, I had stopped doing custom homes. I had realized the model didn't fit my long-term plan. Um, it was, that would have been a me business, that portion, because I could not teach Mike how to bid and supervise custom home. I had been doing it for 25 years and I'm very good at running custom homework, but between it being all about me and using subs, it was, it was just not profitable. So I had shut that down. Now we're completely reliant on the residential repaint coming out of the pandemic. So I told my wife, look, some of the money we made selling the house. Um, yes, I didn't buy into the franchise with that gentleman with 360, but I said, we're going to need to live on this money because I'm going to cash burn the business. Now she didn't really understand what that meant. And I said, well, if you look at some of these big companies like Tesla at the time and some other ones, there's a calculated loss of money to achieve a long-term goal. And so I invested in my mind in my daughter and her husband to teach them the DYB system and keep myself in a uh, working on the business role instead of taking on a role that would mitigate the need for them. But I needed to get back to where I was when I had HSP and I was not working full time because my long term goals, as I've articulated to you from the very minute we met, was stable income, residual income because I had no retirement. I lost everything and time because I'm a minister and, and I wanted to be, have more time to be in my ministry with my wife and family. So those were my driving factors of uh, what motivated me. And I mean, if you were looking at the, if you had some metrics on what I was doing, you would have saw I was watching DYB modules to like two in the morning every day. And I, I wanted to get it done in like two weeks. And uh, funny that I just met April for the first time in person, what, two weeks ago when I came through Tennessee. But I feel like I've known her more than almost anybody because she's primarily the one doing your modules and very, um, you know, it's her. And, um, so we just kept working at implementing it. We implemented your tech stack almost immediately. I had this conversation yesterday with a, a gentleman who does a lot of work with me as a general contractor. And uh, I told him all the things I used to do. Um, seven things, you know, one, you know, set up the customer, build the file, quick books, dun, dun, dun. And I said, yeah, we have this company called DYB virtual and they, they zapped, he didn't understand what zapping was. So I had to explain to him the difference between zapping and API. And I'm like, this is what we've done. You implement it once and it just dominoes your tech stack. And they're like, well, what's a tech stack? Okay. So I had to explain that to them. And this is the one I'm, I have the book, the, the, uh, e-myth book, um, okay. out for him. And so I, I literally, this is yesterday at coffee said, Steve with his wife, April, who runs DYB virtual made our tech into this system. And he's, he linked everything with Zapier. And so all of our programs, our primary programs, of course, we're a Google based platform, a Google works workspace. And we ride or die with that. Now I, I abandoned, uh, outlook uh, a number of years ago and you were the, you were the nail in that coffin. And of course, Monday, which was. We had used a son in the past, so my daughter was adept at that. And then pipe drive, we just switched from pipeline to pipe drive in the last couple months. We just switched back to Paint Scout. And then, of course, we've always used QuickBooks Online, so QBO. So you all helped us with MailChimp and a, and a spread. I mean, now the whole thing just links with one action, saved me an hour per job. So just those type of things we just were implementing and slowly building and waiting for the revenue to hit. Um, teaching someone in their mid twenties, how to do estimating, um, and sales when they've never done sales or estimating or even paint was a, was a slow burn. 
And uh, you and I had many conversations about the timeline on that and just how long could I afford to not be profitable. And mm -hmm. uh, that was interesting. You know? uh, it was. What you're doing is um, unique and uh, risky, but, uh, but you did it and it's paying off. Yeah. Yeah. Mike turned the corner. I think what helped was I actually got him doing a lot of things, of course, with the DYB system, but then I got him with Gitmer. And uh, we did like a two-month program with them. We, we endured with uh, Jeffrey and, and his wife, great people. But we, we did as much, we got as much out of it as we needed. Like you said, you know, don't read more chapters in a book than you need to. Um, we, we stayed with Gitmer as long as we needed. And I think it gave Mike just the little boost he needed. And uh, the end of last year, so the end of 22, he started hitting his numbers. And then starting January, he's exceeded his numbers, not just in sales, but the revenue, because he's a project manager. So he's responsible for the sales and production. And he was hitting his margins. So the few years prior, there would be times we hit the numbers, both revenue and sales. But then our, our gross profit target of 45 would dip to 38, 37. So we weren't profitable. We're breaking even. I wasn't drawing salary i mitigated that with my other company so i was living but we weren't truly profitable but when he hit the numbers um the end of this past year and now every month over month he's not only he's now between 45 and 50 percent gross profit and his numbers he's selling in the low hundred thousands um we're grooving now and so yeah, we're now we're in growth mode so mm -hmm. And uh, well done, Mike. Hopefully you're listening or watching this. <laughs> He's going to well be, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, turn a corner. We hit, you know, the compound effect, inflection point, breakthrough, depending on Absolutely. which analogy or book uh, we come through. And things are going great. This uh, was HSP 3.0. However, just made a little shift there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So once the painting business started hitting its numbers, I... I am, um, you know, my strength and my weakness is my energy. And when two years of not being profitable starts to wear on you, even though you have a plan, you know, and I have, I don't know if you can see it behind me. Um, I have things written on the wall on my whiteboards that I, you know, we did the whiteboard paint. And one of them is the slight edge. Um, I even have something called Seth's standard. I think I told Seth that where I basically confined his success to a metric of this many leads, this many estimates, yields, this much per job, this much revenue. And I said, that's our target. So it's Seth's standards, even on our scoreboard. Uh, so kudos to you, Seth. And then um, the slight edge. And I just kept going, dude, <laughs> I'm like, I'm waiting for the massive. I get the small, consistent decisions plus time equals massive results. And I'm like, Steve. I'm waiting, man. When's the results? <laughs> and it was tough because you, because you know, yeah. the strength of the model is I had my son-in-law and my daughter working for me, so I knew I had really loyal, stable people. I I gave them on paper a percent ownership, and I was doing my consulting with my other business. So I had flipped consulting into the One Point Contractors Group, the vendor group, which was hard to build during a pandemic. So I just used it as a vehicle to do consulting. And I was living off that money. And so when Mike started hitting his numbers earlier this year, now I could sit back and go, okay, let's get back to my larger term plans. And so in the last three months, um, we basically have reinvented the whole concept. And so we approached uh, how to conceptually combine the two companies. And so 
instead of being HSB painting at one point contractors group. And by then we were doing project management for realtors and we realized our niche were realtors with one point contractors group and it's the largest customer base for HSP. So we said, okay, I hired a consultant and we conceptualized how do we create a messaging that resonates clearly with realtors. And so instead of, we kind of borrowed from Facebook uh, with Meta and Google with Alphabet. And we said, okay, let's rename the parent company one point and then conceptually everything fall beneath it in divisions. So we rebranded the painting one point painting company, and then we separated divisions from one point contractors group. So now we have one point property solutions, which is a project management uh, endeavor with realtors. And inevitably it always hires the painting because that's the primary thing. So that's what we've been working on last three months. Um, we, we are 98% done with the rebrand. Um, in fact, I think Mike with ClickWiz, uh, either today or Monday, will flip the URL on the HSP website to onepointpaintingcompany.com. So now we'll be completely converted. And now the next, the month of June, wait, no, we're in June. By the beginning of July, I will have merged the entities behind the scenes. Now we're merging. So instead of two payrolls, two insurances, now it'll all be one. And we can already see Mike's still doing a hundred thousand a year in, or a month in sales for HSP. Now he's doing a hundred thousand in sales for the one point property solutions piece. So now the massive results are there and we are, you know, conceptually I brought on my nephew who's, who's production from Mike. And then we brought on another project manager who's a general contractor to handle the property. So, so now we're creating bandwidth and margin. Um, we added a friend of mine who works for Apple. You wanted to be a part of the team. So he works 10 hours a week and all he does is go find business. Mm. And, uh, he's like, I love Apple. He's like, but I'd rather come work for you when you can afford to hire me away. He's like, for now, I'll give you 10 hours and I'm, I will build my position. I'm like, well, I'm not going to pay you your salary, but I can give you a little something. Yeah. That's yeah. where we are. And my other daughter joined the team. She's a designer. So now we have a design division. We just had an agreement to terms yesterday with the biggest uh, compass agent in Texas. He will offer our design services, so one point design services on every one of his last year, he did four and 16 transactions as a team. They will now have us as their marketing or their design offering. Um, and then one point, we're aligning with one point so that we handle all of his, um, whatever they need to do to sell a house or buy a house, we're aligning ourselves and we're in the middle of negotiating that. That'll be, that'll be worth a couple million dollars a year easily. Right on. Okay. What is your vision? Uh, my vision is I've literally come full circle to back to where I was in the middle of 2000, you know, 2005 when I was working, you know, a couple days a week and everything is systemized. Um, I'm not quite to the couple days a week because there's been so much with the rebrand, but mm -hmm. I'm fully a hundred percent of the day to day. Uh, I even got the few checks we write. Emilia does that, my daughter. Um, so we're fully systemized and, you asked me as we we're preparing for this, the contribution of DYB and also some of the, the different education pieces, pieces that contributed to that. And, and I would attribute both to DYB and the books I've read, uh, helping me revise my vision from, you know, the early two thousands when I was much younger to now and incorporating my experience when I stepped away for eight years and was building those national concepts, I've kind of wrapped them all into this one point. And um, 
pretty excited to see just exactly how far it's going to go. Right on. Fantastic, PJ. You've done an amazing job, you and your team. Um, thank you very much for coming on and, and, and sharing your story before uh, we roll out today. Is there a question I should have asked or a final point that you would like to make? Well, I don't think there's a, a question that you could have asked, but I will make a point. And that is, um, I don't read anywhere near to the level you do. However, the principle of educating ourselves and always learning in order to always be growing, I think is critical to anyone who wants to have a successful business, whether it's paint or project management or locksmithing or a bakery. If you want to go to E-Myth and use this little example of a bakery, we're all just a business that's selling a product or a service. In the case, our product is a service, but business principles are universal. And so if we're not growing as business people, then we're not growing in our business and therefore we're doomed to fail. And so that's one thing you rekindled my zeal for that, uh, being a part of DYB and the books that you've had me read both endless referrals. We just signed an agreement with endless referrals for the sales team to, to do a couple months with him. And I just talked to, to, and Bob actually said, hi, by the way, I talked yeah, to awesome. Bob two days ago and I was blown away when he called. He's like, do you know who I am? I'm like, yeah, I know your voice very well, Bob. Um, <laughs> and it was cool. Uh, but the slight edge and now we're now a big publication that's really helping me is the millionaire uh, master plan by mm. by roger hamilton and mm. uh, that is a new thing for me that uh, takes the disc kind of to a different level mm. and, uh, but it's the zeal for education i think that that i've taken and i would leave ones with which i i get from you but also i believe in it for myself but i think that's the critical piece Mm. be successful fantastic very good thank you if somebody wanted to follow up what's the best way that they should contact you oh yeah email is the best um pj at one point alliance.com um and uh, you can you can email me and we can do a zoom call i, I love to help people that's why i'm mm. giving the e-myth to that contractor later today mm. um the e-myth the checklist manifesto and the starbucks experience i told you when we met those were the fundamental every team i've ever built has had to read those mm -hmm. those are the backbone and to this day are the backbone um, mm -hmm. of what i do but all the other books you've had me read um, has flushed out and given so much color to this this skeleton that i had mm -hmm. the outline um so yeah call me Heard I, I, I have no well, problem to quote, i mentor bob berg you are on your way to greatness my friend Yes. I just want to be on my way to just maintaining a stable income. There you go. <laughs> Greatness is relative, man, after what I've been through. And, and I know you share the same thing. It's just about being with mm -hmm. our family and, and having time for more important things. It's not a monetary mm -hmm. thing. So mm -hmm. Right on, which is what uh, greatness looks like in my eyes. So fantastic. Amen. Thank you again, PJ, for coming on. It's an honor and pleasure to know and to work with you. And uh, appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. All right. Bye-bye. Paynet Podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.